0: Um, So we'll move into today's discussion, really. Can I trust the Bible? That's the caption we've given it. By the way, just to give a kind of backup and overview to what we've been talking about all through this year, of course, with a little interlude here and there, we've been speaking about what um, one American theologian called crucial question series. So he wrote a series of books over about 20, 30 Years of his ministry, short, short books, um, each of them based on one particular question. And then we are just taking the topics of those questions and discussing them. Most of them has an apologetic uh, uh, slant to it. By apologetics, it simply means that aspect of. I won't necessarily say theology, but the ability for you to defend your faith, that's as simple as I can put it. So you are not just a Christian, but if someone comes and asks you uh, about anything that you believe, you are able to defend it. Um, And that actually comes from one of these um, verses in the first epistle of Peter, I think it's first Peter 315, I'm not exactly sure or say something like that, that you should be able to give a response to someone that asks you for the hope that you have, the blessed hope that you have, and to be able to do that with gentleness and things like that. So that was field is called apologetics in, in theology and in, in Christian circles. And so all these series are based one way or the other on that, and we've been discussing these, exploring that from different aspects. We've looked at um, questions like, can I be sure I'm saved? Um, can I lose my salvation? Um, we've looked at things like, what is church, actually? Um, uh, we looked at who is Jesus? We looked at who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, and so very many other questions like that. And um, yeah, just different, different questions. Uh, so far, so good. So today's question is, can I trust the Bible? Um, and to kind of give us a context to set the ball, ball rolling, sorry, <laughs> uh, to set the ball rolling. <laughs> <laughs> To set the ball rolling and and maybe to awaken similar occurrences that some of us might have had. Um, So my wife and I got married in Birmingham. Um, At the time, she was living in a shared apartment. Um, And so we were living together there. And one of our housemates um, is a young man, older than me, obviously, but he's still a young man by some regards who at some point, I don't know, I think he found out somehow that I've just finished at the Bible college in Bradford and thought, okay, let me just come and poke holes to the theology of this guy, so to speak. Um, so he engaged me in a conversation. He's obviously not a committed Christian, uh, but seemed to have some knowledge about all sorts of things. And so part of the issues he was raising in our discourse this fateful day um, was how that you know, many of the questions he has been asking me previously, I was basing my answers on the Bible, the Bible, and then, so he actually goes for the say, so Even this Bible you're talking about, we all know that um, it's just some group of people that came together and put some things together and say, this is your Bible, take it. Um, and he, he was actually mentioning, I mean, referring to certain councils and all that, um, council of Nicaea, council of this or that, and things like that councils in church history, early church history that I'm not unaware about. Um, I wasn't as informed about many of the things we were saying anyways at that time as I am now. Um, But yeah, you would meet people like that once in a while that would come at you with some maybe scientific or historical data that can actually throw you off balance if you're not equipped or ready to answer such a question. Um, But this is not even just about answering such people but for us to actually come to a place where we can say for myself as as for joseph Kolaoleola, um this is what i think about the bible this is how i think about the bible this is and that shapes how i view it how i engage with it and and things like that so that's this the backdrop for tonight's conversation and um i will just shut up now and <laughs> allow us to chime in maybe questions that can shape the direction of the conversation. Um, the overarching question is, can I trust the Bible? And I don't just want people to come with theoretical answers for why really do you as a person trust God's word as God's word, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I don't know if that's helpful or if I've just modeled everything together. I know always a good critic in that regard. So can nice. you lend me some it lens helps. of clarity? Mm-hmm. Have I made any sense?
1: Yes, you have, but I don't get the question though.
0: <laughs> so I've not made sense.
1: <laughs> you
0: have. It's not a question. So basically, it's a conversation, and I'm saying, for instance, okay, you could share one your questions about the bible maybe okay. questions that you have that i mean that's been nagging in your mind about i don't get this about the bible it could be about any aspect of it it could be about the content it could be about the history of how we got to have it mm. it could be about why is this book in the bible and these other books that we've heard about are not in the bible it could be about why are so and so people using a bible that is different from so and so people it could be anything mm. like that on the other hand you could actually also chime in your response to the question for which tonight's meeting has been tagged. Can I trust the Bible? What's your own response to that? And what? how did you come to that response in that regard? Um, so yeah, it could be either of those, or it could even be sharing an experience that you've had with someone, good or bad, uh, that has made you rethink some of the things you thought you knew, or you never even bothered to think about regarding the Bible. Mm.
2: So that's enough
0: yeah. um, table of content to work with. <laughs> <laughs> all right so the floor is open feel free to unmute yourself and chime in your thoughts and let's reason together auntie i know you said in a in a different forum that one of the gifts oh i think it was on your birthday post i was reading on, on the end, that one of your gifts that people don't know about is bible study Something
1: like So <laughs> do you want that. to tell
0: us a little bit more about that?
1: Okay. Okay. So I like Bible study when it's like my own at my own pace. So
0: personal Personal Bible study.
1: Personal okay. Bible study. Oh, I didn't clarify. Yeah, I like personal Bible study in the sense that what okay, what I do now, what I've started doing from the start of the year is to be reading the Bible. Like all through, I've missed some, but oh, it's been very engaging. So, say for example, I'm listening about Absalom. But when I heard about they say it's very handsome. I thought, hmm, I'll go look that up. Like for them, because sometimes the Bible, like they would mention, they could be telling you a narrative. Mm-hmm. This one killed this one, and this one killed this one. Then so they mention something as I won't say silly. Something as
0: out of point.
1: Out of point as is very comely to look at and I thought why is he so but if you continue the narrative then you find that his comeliness and because it's fine made him over conceited I mean self-conceited and that's why he thought he could overthrow his father mm. and, I, and at the end I got to know that he made an image for himself because he didn't have a son, which I saw was mm. out of the point but that's what I like the bible for that's what I meant by the bible study so just being attentive, picking certain words to match them together. And I didn't get there by myself. It was a book we read on AMJ, the, don't tell me. I can see the man's name in my head, Hendricks.
0: Howard Hendrix, but mm, well, that's yes, name the name of the book. Go on, go on, Living by the Book.
1: Living by the Book, yeah. So it was, it, I, I haven't finished reading the book, but where i got to is what is that for me now how how you would say sometimes when you're reading the bible you're reading something like so you're reading the narrative you finish a chapter and you're going to the next chapter and it says something like then
2: mm-hmm.
1: faith is the so something hopeful like just that word then should give you a pause to say what, what was before that and things and now what i found is When I hear people just quote a simple verse out of the Bible, I think to myself, like, "Hmm, how did they arrive at that? So it piques my interest to want to go read what's been before that and what came after that. So for me, I'm just fascinated with it. And I've learned that the more you read, the more they come to your head. Mm. Um, Especially in times of trouble and things like that. I don't physically read because of the busyness. I don't, like sit down to study but I listen they make notes and things like that so and it's been very helpful it's made me trust so so I'm at the stage where I'm joining all the sermons and everything I've learned in my, grow, as my growing Christian I'm putting them together now to form my own view in light of the word it's very very rich yeah
0: that's interesting Sound like a theologian or what you've just described is a form of um personal theological experience, how you are helping yourself to think critically about the things you're hearing and forming your opinions. Um to, opinions in quotes about God and about Christian concepts or Christian truths. So that, that what's one. a
1: Greek word for that one.
0: Greek word for what? I didn't learn Greek. <laughs> <laughs> when people come with all these Greek words and Hebrew words I'm just like okay, okay. exegesis. <laughs> Exegesis is not a Greek word, it's an English word,
3: oh. anyways,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, any other person you want to share about maybe any of those things that I have highlighted earlier that you want to speak into, and then we can begin to streamline the conversation as we go on.
4: Okay, I have a question, sir. Good. Um, just like you asked initially. Mm-hmm. Why um, why do different denominations have different um, books in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Like um, I grew up in a Catholic background, mm-hmm. Catholic family, mm-hmm. and um, all my life I've always been using this our kind of Bible, mm-hmm. and it was even recently that I found that there are some books in the normal bibles that we see around mm-hmm. that are not there are some books of, of the bible that are in the catholic bible i don't want to say catholic bible or normal yeah. bible mm-hmm. and then there are some books they are missing so um i have this um particular um book in the bible this is a book the book of Sirach. Mm-hmm. and when i found out that i can't see that i, I, I can't find that book in the normal bibles like it was, it was when it dawned on me that actually Catholic Bibles are actually different from the normal <laughs> conventional Bibles that we have now. Yeah. So, why do we have different Bibles for each denomination? Mm, okay.
0: Does anybody want to attempt a contribution towards that? There's no right wrong answer. I mean, we, 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 we are learning together. And yeah, basically, there's no wrong contribution. Let me put it that way. So, every contribution is welcome. Sister Diala, any thoughts on that?
2: Uh, Not really.
0: But if if you were asked that question in Sunday school class (laughs) at Iwalewa (laughs) Assembly, just kidding, what would be your response?
5: Well, what, what I would say is, having read the Bible for be a number of times now, yeah. there are places where I have seen that, let's say, for example, the book of Kings or Chronicles, that even the Bible itself, like that KJV, I carry, I don't know what, or NIV, or maybe mm-hmm. all those ones sure, that you would see that that KJV references maybe one book of, maybe Torah or something, might not be Torah, but I'm just, you know, saying that for example. And then you realize that there is actually another book where it would say the book of the Kings or something, everything about the heart of manasseh, for example, is in that book, but that book is not in the KJV I carry. So I wouldn't know why it's, um. Not referenced in the Bible I carry or the Bible somebody else carries. I really don't know, but I know that there are other books that are not included in the Bible. Okay,
0: thank you very much. That's that's but,
5: um, sorry, just it does not mean that my personal opinion that those other books are not relevant or they are wrong or probably they were not inspired by the Holy Spirit. But mm. the reason why they were included, I, I don't know. I think Pastor Kola.
0: Pastor wasn't there. <laughs> but yeah. Any other any other thoughts, any other contribution? Thank you so much for that, um, sister
2: Ife. Are you in a place where you can talk? I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Good evening, Pastor.
0: I'm not the only one here.
6: Good <laughs> evening, everyone. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I went off. So I'm just like, I just joined in back.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Um, the, the question was that we are considering presently is that, why is it that some Bible, I mean, specifically, why is it that the Catholic Bible, the Bible that Catholics use, seems to have some more books than you find in the Bible that most other Christians use? Um, Like, what have you heard about that? What have you learned about that that you can share with us?
6: It's (laughs) sometimes so someone else can can go ahead and I would think (laughs) what I want to say.
0: Okay. So that's, that's a very, very good question then. I like that it's making us think about it because I think many of us are not really about that and do you want to say anything about that question? is that presence uh, is like if you're able to talk i'll come to you shortly as well
1: okay the reason we have different translations because as we know the bible started not the bible christianity <laughs> started where jesus was and his disciples after he left they spread around he says he said go ye into the world and be and be, and be what, colour
0: disciples.
2: Make yes, disciples.
1: and be disciples of me. Mm-hmm. So as 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 so as they went to each culture, it had to be adapted. No, I'm coming. I'm coming to the English version translation. So it had to be adapted to to the culture they are bringing the gospel to. So you can't give a, you can't go to Egypt now and give them an Aramaic Bible to read you have to adapt it to the language over here so when it came to the english too it was first written by the king then king james in his old english then it was rewritten by him to make it a bit simple I, I think the the thou that, that we are seeing is actually the simplest form as we can get then the, i read a one that was like way way old and I, you can't read it so so as and as as we get enlightened obviously more people came together and they made different translation. And I think from what color I've not made my research myself to make a translation, anybody can translate the Bible but you have to be approved by a certain body. So our certain organization, so to say. So there are different types of translation. There are some people that read the text and form they read the text itself, the pure Greek or Hebrew, whichever language has been written, then form their understanding from it, e.g., I might not be saying this for a collab, but you help me, e.g., message, trans, trans, um, passion translation, while some like NIV, take, take each word or something, sorry, I know you're laughing, stop laughing, while Thank some you. like NIV, they try to stay very close to the original text, so they don't, they don't over translate it, but someone like Eugene Peterson, that wrote the message, he went blatantly away from the old English, read it, and and thought about what God was trying to say to us. then put it in that word, um, for example, when he says "blessed are those that mourn," according to Colleague, initially he said it was "lucky." Is he wanted to write "lucky is them," but they told him not to write that. His publisher told him not to. It's too flip, and so. The translations are not so different. The message is still the same, but I'm not sure how to link that with um, NATO's Catholic version. One, I don't have that knowledge, so to say. But in light of the different translations that we have, and and that it's just the same, and I've noticed we had a Bible, um, we had this conversation in church one time, and I, I learned that actually some that certain verses there are some that there's there are some that are in some translations that are not in others. So you find, I don't know, I can't remember which one, you find Matthew something, something in this one and in the other one, there's no 25, it just goes to the next one. And they said, the reason it goes to the next one is because the people that translated it must have made it concise. Or there are some words, if you read, if you have the physical Bible, there's some words written in red. If it's spoken by Jesus, it would be in red. There's some, there's some words, I think, that they said Jesus said in Matthew, that some translations, they don't believe it was Jesus that said it, so they left those parts out. And it's a big contention in the theological world. I live with the theology, that's why I can talk like this. So, yeah, but I've not seen Catholic Bible before, but I know when we're reading Jude, sorry, Collar, when yeah, we're reading Jude, in Jude, it was mentioned that other books were mentioned in Jude that were not part of the scripture. And the reason Jude could mention them was because he mentioned them by way of, it wasn't saying they're scriptural, but he was referring to them like the book of Moses. And there's another one again, I, I can't remember what I said. So those are the references that adds to the, Original scripture, but at the as the Bible is, I'm not sure whether it's the Catholic one that would win or the KJV ones? I hope that makes sense.
0: Thank you. You've 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 raised um, different other issues um, here and there that we can also get into if we if we have the time. Um, especially with, with regards to translation, with regards to sometimes omissions in, 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 in Bible verses. So, I mean, I remember how some time ago, it went viral on WhatsApp, how some people were saying, don't read NIV, don't read this translation, don't read that translation, because if you look for this and this and this and this verses, you will not find it there and things like that. And Yeah, we can get into a bit of why that is so as well. But the question that Nato is is, the one I want us to, first of all, close the page, point, not necessarily close the page on, but at least kind of like give ourselves some things to think about and explore further um, about it before we move on to some of those other issues that have been raised. So it's only praise and Ibupon that I have not spoken. I don't know if Pris um, has anything to say about that question.
2: Yeah, Um. so I hope you can hear me. Yes, we can. Okay. Um so what I've heard about um that that some books are not in the conventional Bible and it's in some Bibles. I think it was from was it when we were reading Living by the Book of So I can't remember. But there was a time someone was explaining that mm, the early church leaders, I think those that came together, the ones that decided on which and which books um, should be accepted and which should be, well, not necessarily. Oh, I think I was reading it somewhere. I can't remember exactly. But it was a decision of those group of people. Although I don't think I've come across any other I've only heard of them. I've not come across them. So I've not even necessarily read other books aside the general mm-hmm. conventional books in the Bible that we have. Then what um Mamanu mentioned about the missing verses, I also remember when it went viral then. And I remember I had I have this NIV Bible. So I, I went to check and what I what I came about was they they actually wrote it in the footnotes that earlier manuscripts thing not contain some of those verses that's why it's not included but it was actually included in the footnote so it's not like they were missing or omitted they stated it there that some manuscripts or maybe the manuscript they were translating didn't have those verses or so maybe later manuscripts have I just a lot of here and there, and it's actually to me it makes the bible more interesting like there's more to read like it just makes you see that it's not um it's not um just some how do I put it it's not some man's makeup
1: hmm. belief
2: or something it's hmm. actually things that are that can cause okay some people say oh, we saw this somewhere like history can actually back up these things so it's yeah. not just someone coming up to say okay these are the books that we should just start reading for the fact that there are a bit of contentions there and there shows that actually some things happened some things didn't happen maybe some don't believe that it happened and you know it just makes it interesting i find it interesting <laughs> as well. yeah yeah
0: thank you that's that's brilliant okay uh oh sister Bukong has dropped off so okay um yeah i've enjoyed listening to all of us about this and this is not me giving the the theologian's perspective or the verdict on the matter. Actually, I would want us to, in our respective um, spare time, to actually explore further on that online. Um, but um, generally, to give a a quick snapshot of how we came about that discrepancy and why your Bible is Bible has known it, and you probably never even considered um. Reading any other thing apart from that, and why someone like NATO that was raised in a Catholic um, background never even knew that there were some other people somewhere in some other part of the world reading the Bible that doesn't have some of the books that she had always known and loved. Uh, the bit of historical um, background is basically to say, so the Bible as we have it today, have um, gone through series of I don't know. Um, battles and struggles and especially in the first few hundred years of christianity so jesus was born in the first century ad um and that's from when, when i say first century i mean from ad1 to ad100 and then second century ad101 to ad199 and on and on like that um so within the first few hundred years of i mean when all these epi- um uh what are they called Um, apostles were writing all these epistles and all that that makes up what we call the New Testament, you will see them sometimes refer to scripture. So um, Paul, I mean Luke, that wrote Luke and Acts, will say something like um, the Berean Christians uh, will go back to read the scriptures about what they were being taught in the synagogue to see whether it was true. When they say scriptures in that sense, what they had access to then is what we now call the Old Testament. But The Old Testament, your Old Testament, my Old Testament ends in Malachi. Between Malachi and Matthew, in your Bible, that that blank page, um, there are actually, that covers a period of like 400 years that are called um, Silent Age. Some people call them Silent Age, some people call them Intertestamental Period, which is just simple in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, there are different names that people use for them, basically. Some people call them the Second Temple Period or whatever. But basically, within that 400 years period, some other books were written, which not all um, early church fathers um, reckoned with as being inspired. You know, Paul will say later in, in his letter to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God, such that when I take this Bible, I personally, and that's part of, I mean, the general question we ask, can I trust the Bible? I trust that everything that is in this Bible from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by the Holy Spirit, which means this is what God wants me to know. Um, but then there are so very many other books like that that um, were written within that period especially that seem to contain things that some other, um, some of these early church fathers find either inconsistent with the rest of what they have always known to the scripture, or maybe because even Jesus never mentioned or quoted from, you know, Jesus quoted a lot from the Old Testament, from the laws, from the prophets and all that, but never mentioned anything about that. The apostles, the 12 apostles or 11 of them, and then the replacement and Paul um, never said anything about those books. And so those books naturally with time historically add a kind of um, veil upon them, if you will. Like people read them with suspicion in the early centuries. That's not to say that the books were not helpful. That's not to say that the books did not contain theological truths that are very true about God. That's not to say that they are saying things that are opposite to, like glaringly opposite to everything else in the the New Testament or in the Old Testament as the case may be. Uh, But some of those books, generally like that were viewed with, with suspicion. So how did we come about these 66 books in our Bible, uh, which is then 66 plus X in the Catholic Bible, um, is the fact that over time, so you know, um, I don't want to go into all of the history and story, but sometime in this in the third century, um, the Roman emperor then, Emperor Constantine, I think it was called, became a Christian and decided to make Christianity the religion of the states. That's what, that's what gave rise to what we know today as the Catholic Church. In other words, they kind of standardized many things about Christianity within those early periods. Um, and so since it became the religion of the states, it's not just um, Christianity as we see it practiced in, in, in all these letters to the Corinthians, Galatians, where they are meeting in houses and all of that. Now they are beginning to make it um, almost like a government regulated, if you will, um, religion for everyone to practice. And that would mean there will be standardizations here and there. So part of those standardizations led to many debates about very many things. Um, Part of those includes how do we determine which books would actually collect together um, as, because by this time, of course, all the, letters had been written and all of those kind of things. There are so very many things in circulation. There are some books that are called pseudo in the sense that they are not exactly sure who wrote it. You know, very many letters that we say, Paul wrote this, Paul wrote that. Some Bible scholars will tell you they are not actually sure whether Paul wrote this or someone that is writing in the name of Paul. Um, and that's, a, that's not plagiarism back in the days. That's not fraud or forgery is a kind of literary style that was welcome back in the days, just like today when some people write the biography of someone else without them being the person, Um, in which case, it becomes a biography as opposed to an autobiography. And so there are books like that, which again, many of them were not canonized. So these 66 books were, to use that theological word, canonized, and it was based on certain, if you will, laws, like. Some basic things that they are looking out for, things like, for instance, did Jesus reference this this part of scripture? Um, did any of the apostles reference it? Um, is it is everything inside it consistent with what we saw in the Old Testament and what eventually was unveiled in the New? And many other, you know, little bit to um, things like that. Um, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the Bible says the truth shall be established. So in what ways are the doctrines from this place confirmed elsewhere in all of scripture? And the truth is some of those books um, have some things in them like that, that they just couldn't, they couldn't make to fit all of those criteria that were laid down. And so were reckoned to be um, uncanonized. But in the, in the Catholic church, it's been the, in fact, there was a time in history that would say to be a Christian is to be Catholic, literally. Even the word Catholic simply means global, universal in that sense. Uh, So there was a time that that's the universal church. And being the universal church as it is, there are so very many things that there was room for, so to speak, including many of all these um, books that go on to become part of the the Catholic Bible, so to speak. Um, But of course, we know that down the line, there were different councils that were meeting at different places to revisit some of these things to say, okay, this is what we believe about this. And what what they did in those very formative centuries of the church life goes on today to become part of what we have as tradition that we receive from the early church fathers. When I say early church fathers, I'm not just talking of the apostles and Paul, but even those that led uh, the Christian faith in those very early centuries, Augustine, Tertullian, Origen, um, very many names that you might have heard or you might not have necessarily heard, um, in different councils like that, they had to debate on what it means to, when they say Trinity, which is a word you will not find in the Bible. Uh, is God really Trinitarian and things like that, you know? Um, and those are the things that had formed the statements of faith that many other churches and denominations are now using. But in a nutshell, The reason why there are some books in the catholic bible that are not in the protestant bible or the bible that is common for most other christians is simply because those books are being viewed with some suspicion or have not met with they've not passed the test of canonization that were laid out by some councils that we don't know about in terms of like we're not alive when they met but these are respected church fathers that came together under the direction of the Holy Spirit, um, to say, okay, let's critically look at all these documents. And they believe they've been inspired by the Holy Spirit to arrive at the conclusion that they arrived at. So yeah, that's the that's the in a nutshell, that's it. But I would love that some of us will actually take that up. Some of those books are like Maccabees, um, Neto mentioned about Ben Sirach, um, Wisdom of Solomon. Yeah. Psalm 151, there is an additional psalm. Uh, there are some in which the Book of Esther is amplified to include some more details and things like that. There is Book of Baruch. Baruch was Jeremiah's secretary or scribe, um, and things like that. So there's just so very many other letters like that, or epistles, or even prophetic literature, so to speak, two um, bits and things like that, um, that you'd find. Anna, go on, you raise your hand. Nathan was
1: going
4: to say something first.
0: Oh, okay. Neto.
4: Sorry, no, I was just naming the books in the Bible. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. just yeah, I was just naming the books.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah. Did, did some of the one I mentioned, were they part of the ones you Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. You're, you're so correct. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering, um, is
1: it not scary to be reading all these kind of books? Like they sound the Baruch and the wisdom of chemical.
0: Say that again, Anna.
1: It's not scary to, you said we should go and be researching them, you know, I get
0: into Yeah, okay, so let me add a caveat to that to say, I mean, you don't have to. I don't say go and read the, the books themselves. I said go and read about the difference, why there are some books in one place or the other. But even then, is it good and okay to read those books? Are they helpful? that's a debatable question within different christian circles i think for someone that is um, a teacher of god's word it's good to know what's in those books Um, not because those would be the things to inform your doctrine but there are helpful things there absolutely and um, so that you can be in a position to if you're having this kind of theological conversations with people that are in that world you have something to say but otherwise I don't, I don't think it's binding on anybody to read any of those books, especially if you feel really, I don't um, what's the word, did. anxious or worried or Is it that, mark about it.
1: <laughs> I hope it's not the one that they say you should chant something before you read it. No. Sorry,
4: um, Sistano, yeah. um, the books, the books, yeah, they are really helpful, to be honest. Mm. Like, for example, the book of Sirach. Mm-hmm. it's similar to proverbs Proverbs, yeah it's okay. a
0: book of
4: wisdom it's similar to proverbs yeah it's just like the normal bible you read you get like the messages in them they are cool they are okay yeah. it's not outside Isn't of that they're
1: they like in one in one
4: pack or i'll get the book of this no no, no 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 it's part of the it. bible like this yeah yeah oh okay yeah, yeah. 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 it's just in the same bible it's oh, in the same bible yeah. And on
0: your ESOD, there are some of the translations on your ESO that would have these apocryphal books, they are called. Some people okay. call them apocryphal books, some people call them um, deuterocanonical oh, books, all these um, beautiful terminologies. But yeah, okay. so they are actually available if you want to see what's in them, you'll find them online, you find them on Bible Gateway. At, at, I'm not sure if i say the Bible, op.com. and then even on your Bible app, there are some of the translations that have that yeah. Okay.
4: So it's just like uh, one day we were having um, a convention in Dominion City, and so um the pastor was like, we should we, we need to go and look for the book of Maccabees. Kingsley okay. was like Maka. I was like, yes, yeah, Maccabees. Don't you know yeah. Maccabees? Oh, and that's the argument was Maccabee? I was like. Maccabees is in the Bible. <laughs> he said no, he's never heard of Maccabees before. And Maccabees is simply like, it just tells about the end time. Yeah,
2: it's, it's okay. like a revelation.
1: Yeah, it just so, tells so about he, the end time. Does it, it
4: add, does it add to revelation then? It's just like, you know, the way in the, um, different um messages, like in the book of uh, John, um be Luke, they talk about the end time. Okay. You get just like that, yeah. It just talks about the end time, the events of the end time. That's interesting. Mm-hmm, it's
6: okay. Thank you. Um, Hi. I'm
2: sorry. I yeah. I was just thinking of it now. Um, I was seeing this movie, The Chosen, and I think it's not even an issue for now alone. I think the Jesus character in that movie, The Chosen, is a movie about um Jesus' lifetime. Yeah jesus there was saying something like i think the pharisees and the sadducees is it, i think the sadducees were just focused on the first five books or so mm-hmm.
1: the torah when
2: um too. jesus was talking to john yeah the torah when jesus was talking to john and okay it was to come to teach in the synagogue or so and it was just the first five books he had um, access to and so I think John was like telling Jesus that, oh, they are missing out on other things and things like that. So I think it's not something that is just happening now. There's always this argument between, oh, let's add these books. Let's not add these books. And I, I like mean, even,
0: even to add a, a piece of the historical puzzle, so to speak, uh, the fact is, we didn't have a printing press until the 16th century. And so if you needed a Bible, in the first instance that you can't even find. Quote unquote what we call a Bible like this until 500 and something years ago. There was nothing like this. So all you could have is say, for instance, if you need a book of John, you would have to copy it by hand or have someone copy it for you. Um, and that's part of what led to all these issues Um, about say, for instance, what I mentioned about missing Bible verses. And I'm glad the way press responded to that because What we have today, because part of the criticism some people have had is, how can you say that you trust what is here when the original manuscripts, whatever it is that Luke himself wrote, we don't have it again. Whatever it is that Paul himself wrote in all of the epistles that are attributed to Paul, we don't have it again. Whatever it is that um, John wrote in those three epistles, and then the Gospel of John, and then the Book of Revelation, we don't have any of those original Manuscripts again, and so some people will come and argue that, how can you then say that you can trust that what is here. Is the real thing they wrote, since we know that human error can always you know set into the matter in that sense, and I mean the log is the most logical way to respond to that would be to say. There are books from that period, apart from the Bible, there are books from the first century or even before the first century that people are still reading today that literature professors are getting professorship and doctorates about and many of such books um, the galilean wars the book about the history of rome and many of those books that were written in the first century that are in that same kind of category so to speak as of today you can hardly find few manuscripts of them still surviving nine ten and many of those manuscripts will be as old as the 10th century, the 9th century, the 8th century, so you can't find anything that is even very close to when it was originally written, to base what you are reading and getting professorship on, to be sure that it is really the real thing that was written, and nobody is questioning whether or not this was the real thing that was written, if you get what I mean, but when it comes to the Bible, not only is it that we still have manuscripts today that are from the second century which is just like few years away from when they were originally written but we have thousands of them and so even though it's not like the full you could have like hundreds upon hundreds of the manuscript of the gospel of john it's then easy for you to begin to compare and they have a way of dating them to know which one was the earlier manuscript which one is the later manuscript and things like that of course in copying from one place to another there is tendency that if i'm copying something i can think oh whoever did this copy that i am working on did not write this part very well i will correct it in my own or i could think oh maybe what this person is saying here i i think i need to expand it a little more and with what we have heard from our pastor teachers and then i insert that as well into it and things like that so of course things like that can happen But the beauty of having thousands or hundreds upon hundreds of manuscripts of each of these books is that it has given Bible scholars the opportunity to then compare and see that for the vast majority, 99 or 97%, as I think one scholar put it, of all of the New Testament, we have lots of copies of them that are consistent and uniform and the same. The few places where there are discrepancies here and there the interesting thing is none of those places is talking about any core doctrinal matter. It could just be things like somebody said one person did say this did this year, another manuscript says there are two. Or maybe just a little insertion here that is not in, in some other manuscript. But that has nothing to do with whether or not Jesus is Lord. It has nothing to do with whether or not you should be saved by faith or by grace through faith and things like that. All of the core doctrines of Christianity, none of them is touched by those areas where it seems like a manuscript says this, another manuscript adds to it or takes away from it and things like that. And that's, that's the basis upon which we can say what we have today. And if you are using a quote-unquote good Bible, there will always be footnotes to say all these things. Or sometimes you will see some, some parts of, um, of the Bible written in Italy. Basically, I used to say this as a general rule of thumb, when you are using the Bible, don't just buy the Bible and start using it, read the preface. When you read the preface, what you're doing is you are getting to be familiar with what the translators that worked on that. In the first instance, what made them feel that we need another translation? They will tell you in that preface. What were the things they took into consideration when they were translating? They will tell you in that preface. What are the things to look out for as you are reading that translation that would help you to make sense of what you're reading, they will tell you in the preface. So if I'm reading the new century version now, because I've read the preface to the new century version, there are some verses that I've known from the KJV that are rhetorical questions. But if you are reading a rhetorical question in the new century version, it won't put it as a rhetorical rhetorical question, it will give you as an answer. So for instance, if you see a question like in Exodus 15, I think verse 11, um, who is like unto me, Oh, Lord, amongst us, who is like unto thee? Oh, God, among the stars, who is like thee? Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, always doing wonders. That's it in the KJV. If you read that in the New Century Version, you won't find that question of who is like unto thee. It's a question, yes, but it's a rhetorical question. We know that there is no one that is like unto him. So that's what you will find in the New Century Version. They are giving an answer to that question. But the reason why I can I read that and not feel like I'm reading something different. It's because I've read from the preface that that is one of the things they factored in when they were making that translation. And so there are some translations of the KJV that you will see some words in italics, but they are stated in the preface that anywhere you find words in italics, what we are saying is that we are not exactly sure whether these words were in their original manuscripts, they could have been additions. This is not true of every KJV version that you pick. There are so very many different versions of KJV, actually. But there are some versions like that. And it will be usually words like conjunctions, hand, but, for, and things like that, that they've inserted them to make it read better. Because KJV as a translation itself is a word for word translation. That's what I was trying to talk about the other time. There are some translations that they want it to sound like the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic manuscripts that they are working on. And so if the translation in Greek joins those words, as the words followed each other, they want to bring English equivalent to those words and make it follow each other. That's why sometimes you read the KJV doesn't make sense in English, but they are trying to be as much as possible, make it sound like the original manuscripts that they read. But of course, because English is English, Greek is Greek, Hebrew is Hebrew, Aramaic is Aramaic, there are times that you will need to cut some things to make what you are saying or translating from the Greek to English to sound readable, to sound intelligible. And so they need to add a little here, add a little there to make the English statement sound better um, and things like that. So that's that's uh, another, another issue um, to consider, but always have it at the back of your mind that what we have today and which we readily have access to some people Spilled their blood, some people were burned at the stake and who was talking about King James. Actually, King James is not the first to work on the English Bible. Um, there, are, there have been people that have worked on different other um, versions. Jerome was before King James, if I'm right. Um, and I think there was another person like that, um, William Tyndale as well. Um, these people were literally matired for attempting to translate the Bible into another language. Because part of the issues that came with Catholicism after a while is that it almost became like the Bible only has to be in Latin, the language of Rome. And so if you don't understand Latin, you don't even know what's in the Bible. And so with time, you know, um, things were changing gradually with the Reformation, especially, which again happened just about the time when printing presses were invented. And so that's part of why it was easy for Martin Luther who spearheaded the reformation to do all of those things that he accomplished in his time, because now there was a means of printing things and circulating it around within within a few minutes, everybody can see what you're saying um, and things like that. So yeah, that's just to, sorry, I went on and on about that. But to just plug in a few holes in the historical landscape to help us appreciate more, that we can't afford to take this for granted because really it was not always like this, and some people gave their lives to make it possible for us to have the Bible in our own languages and understand it better. So yeah. I don't know if um, there are some I think there are some other things I know might have raised that we have not touched or maybe there are any other questions that are still locking in someone's mind that will to be good for us to touch, before we call it a night. Stipe said, I did read from the CSB apologetics about error in the Bible that the Bible teaches about its own authority. I am not sure if if it's able to talk, but I would have loved to get the context for that. Um, not I'm saying CSB is Christian standard Bible, I think. Um, yeah, but the Bible teaches about its own authority. That's definitely a true um, statement. You hear people say something like, let the Bible interpret the Bible. And again, that is part of the reason why sometimes some books were left out because maybe one or two verses said things that they can't find a way for another part of the scripture to explain. That might be due to our own human limitations, Um, but at the end of the day, yes, there are there are scenarios, scenarios like that. Okay.
2: Um, sister, I don't need to attend to the kids that's fine.
0: Okay. Any other questions before we wrap it up, sister? can talk
6: now. So it's in the um. In the area of, you know, there was a time we, we had in church when we said those, those um, Bible um, contradicts one another. Yeah, yeah. So that's the area I'm, I'm, yeah, oh, I'm just yeah, contradicting yeah, yeah. on to say that. It also goes with what Sistano was talking about, about errors
2: mm-hmm.
6: um, in the Bible to say that um, I read from the book um, to say um, the Bible teaches itself uh, it teaches about its own authority scriptures back scriptures up so if if you, if you see some um like a verse somewhere and you know like very i'm I, i'm trying to look for examples now because i remember there was a time we did it in bible study when we started looking into like verses that we've read before that this one says it here and then another one says it somewhere else and it sounds contradicting and I remember you made it clear to us that um, there, there are no. it's not, it's not contra- contradicting. It's just, it's backing each other. It's just the way you understand it and read it for yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to interpret it to you. So yeah,
2: thank you.
0: Thank you very much about that. Just to give a, a couple of examples that um, I have here yeah, about such a thing. For instance, Genesis 32, verse 30 says, amongst other things, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. I think that was um, Jacob speaking at when he had that battle with the angel. Um, but you read John chapter one verse eighteen, and John prologue up to the Gospel of John, and it says, "No man has seen God at any time." And so someone is saying, "No one has seen God at any time." Yet in Genesis you see someone saying, "I have seen God face to face." How do you reconcile that? But of course, if you have read uh, in context what the experience of Jacob was in Genesis 32, we know that it's not literally that he has seen God face-to-face in the way and manner in which John meant what he was trying to describe. John was making us see in his prologue that this God that no one has seen in the sense of, of course, no one can even see him and survive, (laughs) it was Peter, I think, that says he dwells in unapproachable light. that's how that God in all of his magnificent glory now took on flesh and became man in Jesus. So John 1.14, the word became flesh, God among us and all, and all and all like that. So there are two different scenarios which if you just took the words literally and say, okay, somebody said they are saying God face to face. Another person said no one has seen God at any point in time. All both of them in the same Bible. How do we reconcile that? It's just to read in context and understand what they are saying. Um, and I could go on to give different other, different other examples. For instance, um, Luke 14, 26. Uh, let's start with Exodus, part of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. Exodus 20, verse 12. But then you, you hear Jesus himself saying, Luke 14, 26. If any man comes to me and does not hate his father, hate his mother, hate his wife, hate his children and brethren and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So again, you want to wonder, okay, are we to honor our parents or are we to hate them? <laughs> but again, that's not, it's just a matter of reading in context and understanding exactly what's the point or the intention of, uh, or the message that whoever is speaking, the speaker is saying to the intended audience um, in this case, eventually by extension, we ourselves that are reading it many thousands of years after it was written. So yeah, um, those are the kind of things that you find. I think there was a part in the synoptic Gospels, the synoptic Gospels with Matthew, Mark, Luke. Those three gospels you find that you find many things that are the same in them even a part of John. But John is not really reckoned as part of the selective gospels because the style of John and everything is just totally different. And their agenda is different really. They are writing to different audiences, four of them, Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, writing to different audiences, had different things in mind, writing at different times um, in terms of calendar years and things like that. But where I'm going is the fact that you see details like, Jesus healed one disciple on his way to Jericho. And another synoptic gospel will say he healed two um, disciples on his way to Jericho. At the end of the day, whether it was one or two, has it really made any major difference in terms of say um, theological significance? Of course not. And besides, there are explanations for those differences. If we begin to then even look deeper and deeper into the details surrounding it, um, could it be that he healed one on his way going and then he healed two on his way coming back and things like that. So just different um, ways and approaches of reasoning out these details that seem contradictory. So it's, they are seeming contradictions, basically. When you read in context and get what the Holy Spirit is saying through the inspired writers, everything clarifies, and yeah, it's scales for So thank you so much for that, sister. Okay. Uh, I don't know if there's any other question. Dr. Henry, you joined us a bit late. I would have needed your help for some of these questions that we've been considering about the Bible. Um, but yeah, you're welcome. So praise their life, Ife, uh, Neto, Henry, any Final thoughts
2: or questions before we pray? Uh, okay, sir. So, um, I was just thinking when the book you sent earlier about um how can I live by faith when I was taking the yeah, um, yeah topic then yeah. yeah I remember when I was reading through the I think the very first chapter you can almost sense the I don't want the anger in the voice in the writing of the author when he was talking about some Christians don't even want to in quotes argue i don't want to call it argue i can't i can't remember if that's the word you use argue about um their faith and all oh, what you know you said we have even come to the stage where we um almost attribute the word blind when we talk about our faith blind faith like
6: mm-hmm.
2: you don't you just take it as it comes but blind should up. it actually be that way you know one thing i've been coming to um find interesting these days is getting to really understand maybe the scenarios the circumstances surrounding some situations you know growing up it's just acceptable to hear like it's not like I had a hard time believing it's per se but there wasn't this so much conviction and I think it's what affects us mostly as believers we don't have so much boldness and confidence when it comes to sharing our faith with others because we don't even understand it ourselves basically we can't explain why why was it we can't say they just told us and yes we've come to accept it fine the fact is not that we shouldn't accept or we've accepted it but do you actually really understand you know for us to take our time to do our research and know that because it's almost because when it comes to time when you have to you have you might come to some point where you don't even understand and you know that's some people that's okay they've backslided they've denounced their faith and all because in the first instance they didn't even understand why or how those things came to be yeah. so the question was study can we trust Bible? you know now it's, i'm taking it as a personal decision now to go and check out some things online and see for myself how it came to pass those other books that we're talking about and oh and I think it should be um for us as uh, believers, like coming to the point where okay, actually understand, okay, this is how this came to be. Oh, this is why we have this and that, and we can actually explain it to others. So it shouldn't be just like, oh, accept Jesus is your Lord and Savior. How, like even you know, some some other those that are in other faith will be like, okay, can you even explain this thing without talking about the Bible? You know, they also um doubt the authority of the Bible, like, okay, when almost everything you speak about, I say, in John chapter, how are you even sure those books are, like, real, like, how are you, everything you're just saying is from there, talk about the word in general, history, like, trace it down to something that we can Mm -hmm. only get, so that's just what I want to say.
0: Thank you so much, I mean, that's, that's, that's brilliant, and I think that's actually the overarching idea behind um, the subject we're discussing tonight is to in the first instance actually make some of us think of things we've not thought about like we just take the bible for granted it's the bible yes it's what we've been reading since all these years and they say it is the word of god so it's the word of god um, but right from even the very inception of christianity there has always been like i said there's that verse that peter Uh, would include in his epistle that you must be ready to defend the faith that you have when you are asked. You say you have hope in Jesus. What's this blessed hope that you are talking about? You should be able to, to speak about that. And that would mean that we need to switch from just believing things before this, because they said we should believe it, to having a personal grasp on it. And that would involve just exactly what Anu was describing at the very beginning as our own approach to personal Bible study. But well, what I actually take from there is a desire to explore. And that starts from engaging with the content, engage with the word, in our own case, listening and then listening to something. And I like, oh, okay. So the Bible actually mentioned that, okay, let me go look up that or more on that and see what, that's, what that means. Or what's What's the background or the context in which that is coming from? Um, and things like that. And don't be don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, it's just very essential to growth, really. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean asking people. That's also very important, uh, especially asking the right kind of people, because, again, question can lead you into further confusion. Um, just as much as going online to find answers can sometimes lead you into very troubling conf- confusion. Because you find someone that has said this and another person that has said exactly opposite of that and both of them articulating their thoughts very brilliantly. Um, So you still need to be guided by the Holy Spirit in doing that. But questions that you yourself are asking yourself and God, if you get what I mean, like, okay, why is so-and-so this? Or why do I believe this? Why do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Even as simple as that is, why do I believe it? And then begin to get to the basis of that in a way that you are able to, to get your personal grasp on it. And Sister Ife is saying in the comment section that she really do recommend the CBS Apologetics Bible. Um, she hasn't gotten so far with it, but so many questions are beautiful to understand. It's source there are over 1,500 questions. That's a very fantastic resource. Um, and I think. I might have the soft copy somewhere, so I can actually share that on the group. Um, and yeah, so you can pick it up to see for yourself. So apologetics, like I've said from the beginning, simply does this. So, like responding to helping people to understand their faith with the aim of being able to share it and in a persuasive way with others. So you that would be a good resource indeed, and I can share that with us um, after now. Okay, so I think it's a good point to call it an evening. Except there is someone that has a burning thoughts to share, Doctor Henry. It would actually be good to hear your voice before we. Uh, good evening,
3: everyone. Sorry, evening. I can't. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what I was being said, but I've got like a question. I thought. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, you know the way I've heard from someone, and I think it's true in some sense is that some bibles are written in different uh structures. So, I mean some books in the Bible. So some of them like historic, some are descriptive, and be as it may. Yeah. But does that in any way help us to understand um, within a person past- example like Revelation? we we'll hear like mm-hmm. some creatures that's been described in very um, not, I mean unimaginable ways, but yeah, do, do we base our understanding based on literally like what it means or based on the fact that okay, this could be a description or a historic yeah. of that's that's
0: a very very beautiful question and
2: sorry okay. sorry to add to that so yeah. I, I i usually have this should i say confusion like to know you know when we're reading living by the book also yeah. um the was talking about things um figurative and Um, actually and the real, the literal literal one. Mm -hmm. So I usually have this, um, I don't know if there'll be a resource to help, like when do we know it is figurative? When do we know it is literal? You know, some people like, there are some, they say, okay, and like some explanations they'll give to some, okay, this one is like, how do you know when to just read and like read like English, plain English, and when you to read like, oh, this is describing, something
0: yeah metaphorically or in an analogic or analogical way so to speak I, I the rule of thumb for Bible interpretation is that unless um, I was going to say unless otherwise stated <laughs> but something of that sort unless you have reason to believe otherwise take everything literally um, but again it helps a lot to have this basic understanding about the basic genres of the scripture, I don't know if I pronounced that word well, categories of the scriptures in terms of what kind of, there are some broad categories that you can divide the Bible as it has been arranged sequentially. Um, I mean, that arrangement in the Bible is not, not, uh, what's the word, is not um, in order of how things happened. Um, there's a reason for that arrangement that way. So it started with those first five books that we call the Torah, um, or in fact, sometimes it just refers to it as Moses, um, and then on and on like that. But the broad categories are, just like um, Dr. Henry was saying, there are historical books um, that gives more or less historical records. Of course, within those historical records, we are saying lots of things about God. So there are doctrines that are emanating from that, uh, but more or less, they are just like historical books. Many of the books in the Old Testament, especially um Genesis down to Joshua, Judges, um, Kings, Samuel, is giving us the history of the Israelite nation to the time the um kingdom was divided, and then you know the captivities and all of that. So you have all of those history up until you get to um around Jove. So from Job, Psalms, and onwards, you have what we call the poetic literature. So again, when you are reading poetry, you know the way you read poetry is different from how you read history. In poetry, you know that it's not just necessarily literal every of the time. the idea is to invite you to think about what you're reading and see the wisdom in what they're saying. And so um, I think it's Proverbs 26 or 24, verse five and six, two verses consecutively said something like, um, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you look at him or look like him rather. And then you move to the next verse or the one before and that one says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he is wise in his own eyes. And so you read two verses that are saying two opposite things in two consecutive verses. The idea is for you to actually then pause and think about what you are reading. They said, I should not answer a fool according to his foolishness so that I won't look like a fool. But in the same breath, he's saying, I should actually answer a fool according to his foolishness so that that fool will not be wise in his own eyes. How do I make sense of that? Holy Spirit, what are you saying here? That's where meditation begins and things like that. So that's why it's, it's they are poetic books um, and they are called yeah, basically blue. So that's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes, um, and things like that. And then you move on into Daniel and onwards, and you begin to see prophecies. If a few chapters in Daniel is also historical, especially the first like six chapters, and then the last six chapters thereabouts is thick with revelations and prophecies and things that will happen at the end of time. And that hushes us into what they call major prophets and minor prophets. Major prophets in the sense that their books are voluminous. Minor prophets in the sense that their books are shorter. So it's not that they are major or minor prophets in terms of authority or anything. But all of those remaining books in the Old Testament are prophetic. Prophetic means speaking of what is yet to happen more often than none. at least in that sense and so when you are reading those things again you are trying to bear in mind when was this fulfilled has this been fulfilled some of those things have been fulfilled some of those things are yet to be fulfilled but to be fulfilled at the end of time so those are the kind of things that you bear in mind just knowing that the old testament is divided into three broad categories history poetry prophecy and then you move into the new testament the first four books we call it the gospels in other words Gospels because it's talking about Jesus. So they are all accounts about the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus um, in different shades. So Mark is writing, painting Jesus as a servant. Matthew is writing to a very Jewish audience and is trying to make the Jewish people see that this is the Messiah, that all these things you've been reading in the prophets this is the person they are talking about this is the person isaiah was talking about this is the person so if you are reading matthew before you get so far into matthew you start saying him say something like and this is that which was said by the prophet jeremiah and this is that which was said by the prophet isaiah he's trying to make those that are familiar with those literature namely the jews to see that this is the person this is the one we have to look for and then we move on to luke in 24 chapters thereabouts Gives us a very detailed look. Is a doctor, so he is coming and approaching all of these with like a scholar. Uh, and he's writing to one person actually, he's writing to Theophilus. So he wrote both the book of Luke and the book of Acts to one man called Theophilus, whom we don't really know, but probably was a very important figure in the first century. So he is more or less doing like a project that I want to present to this most excellent Theophilus the person of Jesus. In the, the words and the deeds of Jesus. And so he's coming and tracing everything back to, you know he gave a different um, what's this thing called family tree? Um, I've forgotten the name. chronology chronology: Genealogy. Yeah, He gave a different chronological list to trace Jesus even as far back as to, to Adam. Matthew traced him back to Abraham, because that's the father of the Jews. But he took and traced him, especially, I think, from the line of Mary this time around, back to, to Adam, to the very beginning, and then goes on to begin to unpack, you know, giving us behind the scenes, things you won't find in Matthew and Mark, things about Zechariah uh, and John the Baptist coming on the scene as a forerunner and all of those things. We saw John the Baptist in Matthew and Mark, and in Matthew, not in Mark. But he went on to give us the backstory about how John the Baptist came about and things like that because he was more detailed and he had reasons for that. He's writing to one person and wants to give that person all the possible evidence and details. And then you get to John, who is, of all the disciples, the one that is so-called, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, and of course, he's is the, the one writing that about himself. So every time you see the disciple in Jesus love, he's actually written by John himself about himself. So that's a story for another day. But the guy is good. And so he is coming to present and is writing this epistle at the later part of his life. So probably about maybe even almost 40 years after these things have happened. But as a whole, as an old man that is that has lived with Mary, mind you, he was the one that took in Mary, the mother of Jesus, after Jesus. Um, was going to when he was arrived at the Calvary Cross, Jesus handed over Mary to John. So he had a lot of information that all the other people do not have. Things that if anybody would know anything about Jesus' is growing up years, it is John because he lived with Jesus' mother, um, literally. And so he came to give us a picture of Jesus as God in in, in so very many simple and beautiful analogy. Um and so. Is more theological in his own approach and very, very specific and strategic. Seven I am statements introducing Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life, you know, very strategic sevens in different other regards like that and making us to see Jesus in ways that Matthew, Mark Luke did not even present him. So all of those together, we call that the gospel. And then there's a bit of history, and that's Act of Apostle, to let us know the history of how the church then spread it, I mean, spread it forth from going into the world. So what did that look like at least for the first few years? And then we now start saying the epistles that all these other apostles wrote. So the way you read epistles, epistles are letters. And I used to emphasize this point because in my church, we've been doing all these book studies. And so presently we are, for instance, we're on first we Corinthians at the moment. I used to emphasize the fact that there are no chapters, there are no verses in the original manuscripts. Chapters and verses were added just a few hundred years ago. And so you read it like a letter. If you want to really get the gist of it, sit down in one sitting or two sittings and read through the whole Book of Romans. It will make more sense to you. Sit down in one sitting and read the whole of Galatians. It will make more sense and read it like you are reading a letter. I've stumbled on the love letters my dad and mom shared in the times of their courtship before. The way I read the letter is, of course, this is not written to me, but at the same time, I know the characters involved and, you know, I read it with a kind of joy and relish and seen them calling themselves lollipop and whatever. Um, In the same way, you are reading a letter that is not originally written to you. So it's good and helpful to know, what can I know about those people that were living at that time? and then begin to connect that with, okay, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? I didn't intend for this to be this long, I'm so sorry. But yeah, that's, so Gospels, history, which is basically Acts, and then Epistles, from Romans onwards, up until 3rd John and Jude, and then Revelation, which is Apocalypse. So that's just um, another language entirely. And knowing that the book of Revelation is largely apocalyptical, it means, that you don't take many of the things there literally. How do you know when it is not literal? So back to the original question, you see what's like, what's like like, what's like has. And so he's describing Jesus in Revelations one, his voice is like many waters. That doesn't mean Jesus is voice, many waters. Um, and his eyes are like this and his, and this is in his hand and things like that. Essentially we know God is spirit. And so when we begin to say things like the hands of God are not too short to save, there is a terminological uh, a theological term for it. I don't want to go into all of that. But when we start ascribing human qualities to God, and you see a lot of that in the in the in the scriptures, the ears of God are not deaf, His hands are not too short, um, the eyes of God are too holy to behold iniquity, and things like that. God is spirit; those body parts are ways of understanding Him in, in our own intelligence so to speak and so it's ways of seeing him not necessarily that those that's exactly what it looks like so you see things like that or you see things like um those similes has like and the the head of this of the being uh, is he has seven heads and seven eyes and things like that which you can't find anywhere any creature like that that's prophetic in his manner of speaking not prophetic apocalyptic uh, which means he's speaking in symbols, he's speaking in signs, he's inviting you to consider a number that is the number of a band, and the number is six six six, and things like that. All of those things you can't begin to just take them literally and begin to bring out a calculator to calculate things. Um, you read them as such in that in that sense. So, sorry that I took so long, but that's the long short answer. So what? that was very helpful thank you very much sir so yeah that's 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 important i think at the end of the day in all before we praise, just to say i'm hoping that we'll fall in love with our bible i fell in love with the word of god and i'm still falling in love with it because now that i'm thinking of it it actually started because i sat in in a Bible study unit in a fellowship in university during my undergrad days, where for the first, so I, I said, I want to join Bible study units, not because I wanted to, I believe the Holy Spirit led me to join the unit. I wanted to join choir. And then long story short, I found myself saying, okay, I'll join Bible study as I felt led, like. And I don't know what they do. And so I attended the first subgroup meeting and I see these university students like myself, of course, all of them older than me and older in every regard, but the way they were talking about the Bible with joy and quoting scriptures by heart and bringing out all these big concordances, we had like paperback big concordances in the library of the Bible study, and how they were just expounding these things to themselves, and me, yeah, I just sat down there, I couldn't say anything because I felt like whatever I would say would be so foolish listening to all of this wisdom. But it's not just in terms of the knowledge that they displayed, but the pleasure and the delight they had in what they were doing. That's what arrested my attention. I think I left that first meeting to go and spend some hours saying, God, I want that. I want to get in on that. And then what I believe led on to then really shaping that for me was by the time I would have attended their meeting two, three times, I also then started going to my school library, my university library, sit down in the reference section, that's the only section where you don't have to follow protocol to get books. And there are all these big commentaries, interpreters Bible commentary, they called it, in volumes like, I don't know, maybe 20 something volumes. And I would sit down and take the manuscript of what we want to teach the next day and be looking at commentaries on those passages and reading things. And I gradually began to wrestle with a lot of things and it was exciting basically. I would have spent hours without knowing that, oh my God, I've not read MCB 201, I've just been reading the, the word of God. I used to tell myself that if I used to read my academic books, the way I was engaging with the Bible, I would be the best student in class because there was a joy to it. And now over the years with many other knowledge here and there learning and appreciating the history of how this came about, it even deepened my knowledge the more. And that's what I'm hoping for us that it won't just be on Sunday when you're going to church that you pick up the Bible. But it won't just be when you flip through that devotional on WhatsApp that someone posted that you would see the scriptures. That it will be something that delights us, that we long to engage with and share with people and sit down to talk with people about whenever the opportunity does arise. And a lot of so that. So,
3: you have time uh, one, for one more question. But well, um, apologies if okay. it's been it addressed it before. So yeah, you know, I'll sure. of, uh, about will make it short. About translation, both from one language to another language, like, yeah. I, I think whether it was from Greek or Hebrew whatever, down to server, mm-hmm. down English, and with regards to different translations like NLT, NIV, KJV mm-hmm. and other things, do you, can you make like one or two comments on that? Okay, yeah,
0: um, um, we did mention a bit of that before you came. So basically, all translations fall into two broad categories. When I say translations, I'm talking of English language. Um, English translations, um, not our local dialects. But in English, there are two major kinds of translations, depending on how you're looking at it. There are those we call word-for-word translations, and there are other terminologies for it that are more complex, formal equivalence and things like that. And there are those that are called thought-for-thought translations. Word-for-word translations means if I'm working on the, Hebrew, on, on the Old Testament, Old Testament is written in Hebrew, New Testament is written in Greek, some part of it in Aramaic, Aramaic and Hebrew are very close, Aramaic is just more or less a kind of form of Hebrew language. But those are the three languages that you find manuscripts or original manuscripts on. So say I want to work on the book of John and translate it to English. I pick, and of course the I was no Greek, so I pick the Greek manuscripts. I have two approaches that I could go with that. I could go with that by just looking at what was said in the Greek and translate that to English word for word. Or I could read the verse in Greek, ask myself, okay, what does this mean? And then how is the best way to say this in English? At the end of the day, when I then translate it to English, I'm not necessarily saying what is said in the Greek word for word but I'm still being faithful to the message that was intended in the verse. And so naturally, verse translations like KJV, translations like ESV, translations like NASB, they try as much as possible to stay faithful to the word for word in the original manuscript. And that is why KJV has been very popular amongst many of us. KJV sometimes sounds weird. Apart from the old Dao, 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 Dao was the English of the time when it was originally written in 1611. But even besides the Dao and Dao shall not, the statement structure, that's why there was a need for a new King James Version, basically. The reason why there had to be a new King James Version was because to to take care of some of those issues, but still as much as possible, try to stay very close to the original manuscripts. But then there are these other translations, new living translations um the passion translation uh co- contemporary english version and many other translations like that that would look at sometimes they are even looking at the whole paragraph as opposed to just a verse and then see what the paragraph paragraph says and translate that into english part of why that might be helpful sometimes is i as a yoruba person i'm thinking if someone says For instance, bad example, but if someone says, for instance, call someone eshenuiwe, eshenuiwe in English means horse in the book, like her horse inside the book, eshenuiwe, but actually eshenuiwe is a derogatory term for someone that is impotent. And so if I'm translating that phrase into English, I can choose to continue to say yeah, and he called her or he called him a horse in a book. Or I can actually say he calls him an impotent man. One of them makes more sense to the reader. The one that is clear, he calls him an impotent man. But if I just leave it as he calls him a horse in a book, then I've left my reader with go and do research to find out what horse in a book means in the original language in which this was being translated from. So that's the best or simple way I could put it. Um, and then there are some other radically, um, I don't want to say radically different ones, but that took the thought for thought thing almost to an extreme in the sense that they rewrite a lot of things. So they even choose to call themselves paraphrases. Translations like the message, translations like the living Bible, you would actually see that they are paraphrases in the sense that they are telling you outrightly. We are not trying to stay word for word. Not even necessarily thought for thought. Thought for thought, yes, but with a bit of poetic license. Let's let's flesh it up in a way that when you read it, it it makes sense. And that's helpful because everyone that is engaging in these responsibilities of translation is a sacred responsibility. Uh, And most people that are doing it are doing it not with the intention to confuse. They are hoping that God will help them to make a contribution that will make God's word more accessible to people. So you as a person, I would always advise, and now we're in, in an age of technology, expose yourself to as many translations as possible. There will be a kind of translation that speaks your language. Myself as a teacher of God's word, I necessarily have to do that. And then know which one fits the context of what I'm trying to do for time. Um, yeah, I won't draw too much on that. But that's, that's the gist that I would say about those translations in a, in a nutshell. I hope that's helpful.
3: Thank you.
0: For... You're welcome. Let's go to pray. I, I didn't mean for. I thought today that we started and everything was good. I thought by 8.30 we'd be done. But yeah, here we are. But I want to believe it's been helpful one way or the other. And we've learned one or two things and the Lord will help us. Our prayer points really. I, I know we used to ask, what do you want us to pray for you for? um, But I feel that we should just pray the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 119 when he says, <clears throat> I'm not sure the verse now, I think it's verse one, thirty or so open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things from your word, and I want us to pray that prayer in this, even in light of our needs, our material needs, um, or wherever we are in our stages of life, some people are starting something new, some people are planning for something that is coming, some people are wanting to be able to balance things together and all of that. The interesting thing is for every of all these things, there is wisdom in God's word. If only God can open our eyes to behold, to see the wondrous things in his law. So for a few seconds, I just want you to say, God, open my eyes. For some of us, that would look like awakening our appetites for God's word. For some of us, that would look like Inspiring us to say, "Go and get this translation hard copy, and start engaging with it." For some of us, that would look like downloading an app or a software that would help us to better make sense of personal Bible study and things like that. But whatever this might look like for you, I just wanted to say that prayer and leave the way it is being answered to God. That, in light of my current circumstance, in light of my bank accounts being in the negative, in light of um my marital status that i'm hoping to have changed not to me in light of whatever it is that we might be going through that god will open our eyes to behold the wondrous not just ordinary things wondrous things that are hidden in his word for us to discover that can speak into our situation that can bring clarity that can bring peace that can bring joy I'll just give us a few seconds to do that. Let's begin to bring our prayers to a close. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. And Father God, we thank you because you are the word, which again is just mind-blowing. And we know that we are human, made in your image. But we are asking, O God, that you will open our eyes, and that's not just this physical highs, obviously, but our capacity to see that we can begin to behold things that brings exceeding joy, things that brings delight, things that bring brings wonder from your word, wondrous things that would speak into our situations, wondrous things that would equip us to go through things we need to group to go through. Wondrous things that would give us the wisdom in decisions that we are faced with. Wondrous things that would guard and guide us in the new levels you are ushering us into. Wondrous things from your word, O oh God. That will make us to appreciate the labors and the sacrifices of those that have gone before us and made it possible for us to hold your word in languages and means and forms and formats that are accessible to us today that we can all grow in grace continually and in the knowledge of your blessed son. This is our desire. And we know that in getting your word, we get answers to every situation, every question that we have. And that when we'll, you'll keep us, that when we'll meet together in two weeks, there's joy in our midst. There is reason to rejoice and celebrate. To you be all the glory. In Christ Jesus, most wonderfully we have prayed. Amen, amen.